Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our monthly storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, Rob Williams tells us about how one small decision made a huge difference in his life. How's everybody doing tonight? I wanted to take a special time to dedicate my story to the recent Sean Malik, who passed away. Um, I didn't know him personally. I know he was a good man. He was a brother in arms. And most importantly, he wasn't alone. <clears throat> Everything happens for a reason. I was born at Baylor Medical Center in Dallas, Texas. I grew up in a little highway town on the suburbs of Dallas called Mesquite. I didn't have a lot of friends growing up, so developing a social life proved difficult for me. I didn't have the perfect family, but we made it work. My parents, they split up before I was born. My sister, she joined the army when I was in elementary school. So I spent a lot of time, well, I spent pretty much my entire childhood by myself. I was always uh, trying to be more of a people pleaser with my parents. My dad, he wanted me to be in sports like football and basketball. And my mom, she wanted me in the arts, like my sister who played piano and violin. My father and I really have never been close. Um, I remember growing up, he was very abusive to me, mentally, physically, and emotionally. He was always the parent that knew how to point out the negative, but never the positive. <clears throat> and uh, I remember always feeling like he never believed in anything that I wanted. He never believed in me, his own kid. But one day he validated that when I was 19 and he looked me in the eyes and he called me a failure. That was his response to me telling him I wanted to be an actor. Because of my suspicions of him before 19, it left me feeling very, very unwanted and unaccepted socially, as well as it killed my self-confidence and left me feeling very insecure. I remember there was a guy named Kevin who was my neighbor, and I went to school with him from middle to high school. I was literally at his house every day from like Monday to Sunday. It was ridiculous. 
And uh, I knew it was really just unorthodox that I was even like that. But I remember also inside, I wanted to be around him because I saw and wanted the family life that he had with his. As time went on, this concept stayed with me through the friendships I developed and the people I hung around. There was a guy named Darius that I was friends with, and I'm using that term loosely because the only thing that made us friends was the fact that we got high together. Um, he, He went to jail. He went to jail for unpaid speeding tickets. And uh, I remember I paid out of pocket to help get him out. I ended up selling a few personal belongings just to help him. And there came a time when my mom, she kicked me out of her house, and I went to Darius uh, for help. And he left me tossing in the wind, the same guy that I helped get out of jail. I always knew there was a problem with my situations around people when things like that happen, but I never really knew what to do about it. I guess the best way to explain it would be it's parallel to that of a wife married to an abusive husband. And as time went on, I just kept asking myself, like, What am I supposed to do about this? And then, weirdly enough, this conclusion came to mind that I'd rather be manipulated and used than be alone. I used to work at Walmart back in Texas, and I met these two co-workers named Shane and Chris. I got real cool with them, actually, and uh, it was because they bought me alcohol when I wasn't old enough to buy it myself. They were also the first to introduce me to fireball shots. My first experience with fireball, it's one I'll never forget. So we're just getting off work one night and we all decide to go back to their apartment and just chill and, you know, kick back and start drinking. We started drinking beer, and I, I believe we had like a 24-pack. There's three of us. That's eight between. And then uh, we started drinking fireball shots. After a little while or a few hours, I forget, um, they decided to go ahead and call it a night, and they offer their couch to me since I'm obviously shit-faced. And uh, I, I tell them no and decide to drive home. About an hour later, I woke up in a car crash about two blocks from my house. A cop ended up pulling me out of the car only for me to throw up all the alcohol I drank. 
So I got to spend the rest of that night in jail and ended up, ended up telling my mom the next day how I even ended up there in the first place. Lucky for me, I only hit a parked car. But once this all blew over, I ended up going back to Shane and Chris and asking them, you know, for any kind of help they could give so I could keep my job. And to be straightforward, I was asking if they can give me a ride. To no one's surprise, they couldn't help me. So needless to say, I quit my job and end up in debt to the city of Mesquite, almost $1,000 with no way to pay it. I think it's fair to say I deserved everything that happened to, to me at that time. But as I remember and think back, I'm reminded that the source of why I was even drinking with people was because I felt lonely. I was tired of being a workhorse and I wanted to have a social life. Everything happens for a reason. So I end up developing a strategy to help me coordinate to make sure a situation like this never happens again. And I come up with three guidelines that ended up leading me into my next job. They were believe nothing anyone tells you, question everything anyone tells you, and trust no one about anything. Solved its purpose, I mean, you know. It was more of a code, really, than a strategy, to be honest. But uh, it still left me feeling lonely inside, which was the biggest problem of all. And I remember, with all this going on, parallel to it was my journey and plans to join the Navy. They became hands-off the moment I got a DUI. So I had to earn their mercy and get back into their good graces however they needed me to. Long story short, I joined the Navy. But upon enlistment, I take a job I don't want. Culinary specialist. It's the Navy's professional term for cook. And, well, I'm not in a strong negotiating position, so I take the job, keep my mouth shut, don't complain, and I join the Navy. I had no idea the mental hardship that came with doing this job in the military. I remember my first deployment, how stressful it was, how emotional I was, and, you know, just the struggle itself was all too real. I mean, I was in and out of the chaplain's office. Chaplains are basically therapists on the boat. And, uh, yeah, I was in and out of their office so much they knew me by first name because I got all this baggage with me and I don't know what to do with it, emotionally and mentally. And it's like, I mean, I, I, I'm too young to be dealing with all this. 
But at a certain point, the struggle that I was having, it shifted. I remember that as time went on, I began to feel like I was in a very dark place. I began to feel very hopeless and helpless. And with no trust in anybody, I wouldn't say anything to anybody about it. Then one day, I'm I'm working on the ship, and I envision beating my head against the wall of my work center, running to the flight deck, and jumping off the ship. At first, I made it, I left it alone and just let it be a thought. I thought it's no big deal. Then I noticed it kept happening repeatedly. I kept seeing it in my mind, the way I see all of you. And it got very vivid the more and more that I saw it. And it got to a point where I finally just had to step back and really, really reflect. I had to remember, what am I doing all of this for? Like, I would tell the chaplain that my goal, my in-game strategy is I just want to go back to school, pursue a bachelor's degree in theater so I can pursue acting. But if I'm wanting to take my life just to get the benefits to make that happen, is it really worth it? And I remember the chaplain telling me that I should seek that which gives me hope because sometimes hope is all people really have. And well... I take his advice and I start doing research on books about acting, improv, look up places that offer classes. And who would have thought? The light and the darkness for me. Things just kind of started to have a a turnaround for me at the time. And I I just then began to realize it that what I hold so passionately in my heart is what pulled me through the struggle in my darkest of days. And uh, I'm glad that I'm able to even speak on it now. It's a privilege just to have the opportunity to talk about it because I couldn't imagine whose heart I'd be breaking if I wasn't here today. And looking back on it all, I'm glad I survived the hardship because it led me to a community of people that I truly feel accepted in. I remember the chaplain told me of an African proverb during deployment that I held on to from that point forward. He said, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I thought that was very prophetic because about a couple of weeks after deployment, I met a very interesting man named Brad McMurrin. (laughs) Everything happens for a reason. Thank you for joining Tommy Moore Live. The recorded version of our live storytelling event at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. If you'd like to join Tell Me More or help out in any way, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org where you will find our online submission and contact forms, a schedule of upcoming shows, and more Storyteller podcasts. To keep up with the most recent podcasts, 
You can subscribe to Tell Me More Live via RSS, iTunes, and Stitcher. If that's not enough, you can follow our Tell Me More Live updates on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, this is Deb Markham reminding you, a happy ending always depends on where the story ends.